Hey, it's Mike from the High Hash Rate Podcast. Just want to take a brief moment here and thank Fountain.fm for really helping us grow our podcast. I mean, this has been a, a fun ride. We're very thankful for all of our listeners. And if you found us through Fountain, uh, which is likely the case, because that's where most of our traffic comes from. What a cool model, right? Podcasting 2.0. But if you are not listening to High Hash Rate on Fountain.fm, we highly recommend it. You can stream sats to your favorite podcasts. You can also create clips and even stack sats by listening to your favorite podcasts. It's that easy. So if you're not a fountain, head on down and download fountain.fm today and start listening and stacking them sats. And I think whether it's, you know, something to do with Epstein, you know, whether it's being critical of Biden or whoever's in office, whatever it is, I think that will be the turning point. If, to put it more simply, but very bluntly, if cancel culture seeps into the judicial system, we have a real problem. Hey, everybody. This is the High Hash Rate Podcast. I'm Mike. And I'm Dan. And this podcast is just two plebs getting high and talking about Bitcoin, life, and the absurdity of the fiat world. Our guests don't necessarily get high with us, and you don't have to either. But it helps. Now it's recording. He's going to get awkward. <laughs> exactly. It happens every time. Mike, you don't understand. When like the when the camera's off, Mike is like so relaxed. And smooth. Cool. I'm like, smooth. Throw, he's smooth. He's running the conversation. As soon as this thing turned on, he just starts laughing at himself. That's actually not the case. That's actually good. He's never smooth, but he ap- ap- appreciates the uh, compliment. Say the least. I, I I think I'm smooth in the in in the uh, awkwardness of my delivery. You know what I mean? There's style I'm, and swag in that. Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Who like are we talking to tonight, Dan? Sorry, yeah, you go. You can you can take us off. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Today we're talking to Q, like the letter. <laughs> What's up, Q? What is up, boys? So, I'm, yeah, like, tell us about yourself. That's Give no, that's the, a great. See, do you see the the way that I just cut fucking conversation in like a like a knife? You know, it just like turns it into this, like what? <laughs> What's going? Okay, sorry, go, go ahead. Man, uh, you couldn't have given me a more open ended question. Let's see. Uh, we want to hear I, what you think is important, whether you plan to tell us the, that or not. You know what? What is important? Uh, I'm a, first. Of, wait, 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 wait. Where Where are you coming from in life? Just Just go. Tell us a little bit of background. What's going on, Q? I I need you to to guide me a little bit. That's so I can tell you so many different things on that. Um, I'm a what a what hits former, you first? What hits me first? Um, where do you go? Yeah, you're like I'm Q, you know, on Twitter. You ask this, uh, you well, here we, this uh, podcast. I'll, stop, Mike. <laughs> um, dude, I'm just a guy who likes to talk dude, to people and ask go, way yeah. too many questions. So you you answer one thing is that you do is you answer people's questions about Bitcoin on live stream. That did that was a that was me in a past life for sure. Um we're not doing Bitcoin Q&A anymore. The A uh, broke up with me via text message. Um, but th- there's a funny story behind that. But no, to be honest with you, more recently, I've been taking up 
and like I've regained my passion for writing. I I literally like hours ago texted my girlfriend and I was like, oh, I just finished like another article for my Substack, also under the handle of Q like the letter, literally like the letter spell out all those words. Um, and I said to her, I was like, dude, I feel so much more like there's something in my soul that makes me so much happier when I write out my thoughts versus when I talk because dude, I could talk for days and I just ramble. And sometimes I say things that like don't make sense, but at least when I write, I can be like, oh, that doesn't make sense. Let's go fix that a little bit. Um, dude, I, I started this journey, uh, down the Bitcoin rabbit hole in particular, um, in 2020, after I got laid off from my job in Hollywood, where I was, I was an agent. So think Ari Gold, just like way less cool, famous, and intense. All right, all right. Um, let's stop. Let's stop there. I want to hear a little bit about this. That's right? good. Like, that's good. Yeah. Tell it, man, Hollywood agent. Okay, you're this Hollywood. That's, yeah. Go. What, what kind of uh, talent were you representing? So I was. Uh, this probably was why I got laid off during COVID. I hated and had so much ADD, I couldn't sit still in one department. So I came up in the talent department working with a bunch of different actors. Uh, some of the people I worked with included Alison Sudal, who was in the uh, Fantastic Beasts series, Florence Fishburne, Henry Golding, who was in Crazy Rich Asians. Um, it was really fun, but it was so unsatisfying. And so I kept like finding producers that I wanted to work with. And then I would sign a couple of writers and then I would go and like try to sell a movie. And then I would be like, what the fuck are you doing? You're a talent agent. Don't do that stuff. And then half the lit department just left one day and they were like, Hey, we should maybe move Q to lit. Cause he's really good at this stuff. Um, and I did that. And then two days later, the writers went on, there was a writer strike in 2019, but it wasn't the one we just had in 2019. All of the writers in the WGA fired their agents this was two days after I switched over to being a writer's agent. So I picked the perfect time to make that switch. Um, but it was really fun. Like my, my proudest achievement in that space by far was a movie that no one ever saw that actually won a bunch of awards at Sundance. It was called the, um, Oh my God, the infiltrators. Um, and it's a hybrid documentary that was filmed over the course of like four or five years. And it, true story followed a group of illegal immigrant student activists who intentionally got detained by ice and then would be in these detention centers handing out a slip of paper with a phone number giving it to every single person in the detention center essentially saying like hey let us like call this number and there are lawyers on the other end of the phone who will help you with your case and the thing for me and like i own this i'm very upfront and honest especially because i don't think like i've learned over the course of time in the bitcoin space there are a lot of people who actually, you know, align with my political views a little bit more than uh, the consensus view. Like I voted for Bernie twice. I'll own that. Um, but it was eye-opening working on that project because it was like, hey, this was Obama's fault. This was Bush's fault. Like this, this goes so much right. deeper than oh, right, it's right, just right. Trump. So it was, it was a really eye-opening experience for me. And dude, it was so rewarding. Like that, that was way more rewarding than having. Uh, a client who had the number one movie in the box office for a weekend. Right, dude. Like um, that was, that's kind of similar to my experience where I think when I was in the military and I was like over in Afghanistan, the Middle East, and you know, you find out when you get over there, like, oh, this isn't Bush's fault. 
this is Clinton's fault. This is Reagan's fault. This is the other Bush's fault. This is going to be Obama's fault when he takes over and it's going to keep going. And you're like, oh, this this isn't the the binary that I thought it was when I was younger and kind of more naive. But so you find this out now. You mentioned Ari Gold. I, I assume like you've probably seen Entourage. Of course. You like, and you liked Entourage. Did, well, uh, did that impact you? pursuing no. to become an agent like because that no. i wanted to live that life i didn't care if i was e F, turtle <laughs> fucking did Johnny. you really do oh yeah dude me and the, me and my friends we'd go out i mean we were young like stupid bros like we'd go out on the friday night we're picking up chicks like all right you're you're vince tonight and like this is your you know i thought we were the entourage guys playing playing uh, roles, man. Yeah, yeah. Dude, I mean, we used to literally like do exactly that when we were all assistants, like my buddies and I would be like, oh, I, I'm an agent. I rep this. And it was literally like our boss's clients that we were pretending, but it wasn't Entourage. So it, it was a different movie that actually like dictated my whole life. Um, it was Jerry Maguire and I wanted to be a Ooh. sports agent. Oh, talk about it. Yeah. Okay. okay. I, uh, I actually, my senior year of college, second semester started my own sports agency i convinced this guy i had like this whole vision of like how i would approach a sports agency through like sports analytics where i was like i would cut down the cost of scouting travel etc i figured out like a like I, I was a big data analytics nerd i was interning for the rockets the bulls and the wizards like helping them with an analytical formula that i had created and i created another one that essentially was like hey i can just based on the number of minutes a player gets in college determine whether or not he's worth our time effort and energy to like pursue um we ended up you know he convinced i convinced him he paid for me to try to go and get my uh nba agency certificate even though you didn't need it at the time that was the days before the rich paul rule um i signed a kid out of howard university and then within 48 hours he got poached from me and so i i just like i was it left such a bad taste in my mouth and I tried to go down the sports agency route, but I really was so much more interested in, you know, building someone's career. And I remember having a conversation with one of my mentors. My mentor was like, dude, no sports agent, no sports agent does that. Like all I do is just try to get like another sponsorship deal for my client. Like if you want to like build a superstar, honestly, you should just go to Hollywood. And I like I hated that idea because I remember being at CAA and like seeing all the talent of like people in thinking they were so full of it and just like I'm gonna I, I grew up in LA raised by Kobe Bryant like the grit of basketball grew up playing soccer played it into college like sports was my life um but then like one day smoking a joint talking it out with some friends I was like or one of my friends was like you're telling me your entire life you have based it on what you saw in a movie and you don't think you would want to go and work in the movie business. And that was like the, oh, oh, movies really do impact our society and culture. And I could have like a, a cool little fingerprint on that. So that all the way to like when the infiltrators came out on Sundance, it was like a really full circle moment for me. Um, but I, like, dude, I'll be, I'll be really honest. Um, I, eight months before I got laid off. No, like less, like maybe seven, seven, eight months before I got laid off. I remember moving into a new place with my roommate at the time. It was like four o'clock in the morning. We had finally finished moving everything from our old apartment to this new place. We just got Taco Bell, sitting down smoking, eating. We're just talking about, all right, man, you know, it's four years out of college. We've essentially done college, another like four year of college outside of it now. 
how do you feel about where your life is? And we asked it to each other. And he had just left the industry. He like went to a coding boot camp. He's now like deep into that world, into that space um, as a software engineer. And I looked him dead in the eyes. I had made Asian at the time. And I was like, dude, I, I, I have made the level that I dreamed about making it at an age where I couldn't even imagine I would be yet. And I fucking hate it. And it just, it, it wore on me that the culture, the people, the values of it. Like I, I always wanted to push for stories that I thought could like make an impact or a change or just like spark a conversation. But dude, it's a business. And I was a little too young and naive and like no one cared about that. Like people wanted to know how much, right. how much money you brought in. Simple as that. So what did, what did you do to, um, or how did you become as a young person? Everything you talk about, it's not, you had a lot of self-confidence. I mean, you were like, I can do this, I can create this and you can solve problems. Cause basically the jobs that you're describing and the way you kind of climbed is just, you know how to talk to people and you can solve problems like how, but being able to, um, confidently go in and tell somebody like you can solve their problems, like these big problems, these problems that will be worth a lot of money, like, and convince them and then go and do it. Where did that come from? Like, how did you become that person? And like, how did you just know, or I guess, let me add on to that question a little bit. How did you? <laughs> okay. Yeah, I, okay. No, yeah, no, it's, it's you, exactly. I was just saying, it's, let him answer the question. Like, but, but Dan, yeah, yeah, answer the question. Yeah. Sorry. I, I, I mean, my honest answer is probably my, my parents just let my ego run amok growing okay. up. Um, but like, I don't know, man. Like I, as, as much as I like to share my success, like, dude, I, I failed a hell of a lot more than I succeeded. Like I remember the year before I ever even got an internship at any sports agency. I was studying abroad in Australia. I had just once again gotten rejected from like all of the big summer internships at all the big sports agencies. I'm sitting on my balcony. We're having a party and I just, I didn't want to talk to anyone. And I'm, I'm sitting there smoking and, you know, a friend of mine comes out and like, are you good? I'm like, dude, I'm about to enter my senior year of college and I have zero work experience in the field I want to go into. And I'm worried that unfortunately, like I'm just going to get sucked into somewhere that like, I kind of just like, I have to go cause I have to work. Um, all right, I'll, sh I'll share this. I don't like sharing this story publicly, but like, I think I can get away with it now. Um, I bet on myself so hard senior year. So my parents, the rule was like, I was cut off to a degree. Like they would buy me flights back home. But that was it. It was like they're not paying for my spring breaks. They're not paying for anything. Oh, you want to live off campus? No, it doesn't work like that. Like you, you do what you do. You do what you get from the university, from your scholarship and whatever student loans you get, and that's it. And so, because of that, I had to always take a job or an internship that paid me money. But the issue was none of the in-school internships at sports agencies paid. They were all unpaid internships at the time. So I bought a lot of weed and I sold all of it to all my fraternity brothers 
And I bankrolled my senior year by doing that. And I lied to my parents and I said, oh yeah, I got all of these different internships at sports agencies that are paying me like minimum wage, paid me $0. And the only way I was paying my rent, staying afloat and getting by was literally, I was just selling it to like my friends. That like you that do, was- You do what you have to do. Yeah. You do what you have to do. And I, I just, I fully committed and I bet on myself. I was like, there's no, like I had a plan B, I did and- Truthfully, like at this point, I'm more or less falling back on that plan B with like a a different shade of version of it because I did, I got two degrees, one in finance as the backup and then sports management as my like attempt to go into the sports world. And yeah, no, I like, I just, I didn't, I wouldn't accept not trying. And now that I left, I'm grateful that I went all in and I tried and I reached the level that I did because at least now I can look back and be like, yeah, no, I I did it. I made it to a certain level that most people will never make. I just didn't like it. It wasn't for me. Like it was fun, it was cool, but like I don't know how f- fulfilling a life is where like I'm if my, yeah. yeah, like if if the marker for me is I get to hang my hat at the end of the day and say like I have a really cool job, I don't want to do that when I'm 45, when I'm 50. Like that doesn't right. that doesn't excite me. But and you but you proved to yourself that you could do it. And that's really all that mattered. Like you proved to yourself, you didn't need to prove to anybody else at that point. Um, so you get to this point and you learn that this is unfulfilling. You don't align with the values of this industry. And then you kind of mentioned that it was kind of this perfect time that you discovered Bitcoin after you got laid off and you were kind of like in a life transition. Yeah. I, I you know, I'll, I like telling this story because this is the, the most poetic story of just like you get Bitcoin, you get into Bitcoin at the price you deserve. So during that journey of trying to, you know, fund myself for college, like I had heard about Bitcoin through the Silk Road and it, Bitcoin is actually the reason why I didn't purchase uh, anything on the Silk Road. Cause I genuinely like a freaking moron wanted to enter in my debit card and just like go to Amazon and just buy weed. Like as though it, it didn't register in my head, like how much information I would be giving and how easy it would be to like trace that back to me. So I I was tangentially aware of Bitcoin. And then while I was an assistant actually, um, you know, one of my best friends from high school, he came home. We used to always talk about like different stocks we were buying. So this was December 2017. And he t- comes home, we're smoking on my uh at the fire pit just, you know, outside of my bedroom. And he goes, dude, I just quit my job. And I essentially bought a ton of Bitcoin and I'm going to go to the Bitcoin conference in January and I'm going to try to get a job in this space. And we, we get to talking about it. And I had just gone through an issue with a stock split and my, and the stock got wrecked. Like I, I was down 60% after the split and I was furious because I was like, dude, I have no control over that. Like that's bullshit. And at that moment, all I cared about when he explained it to me was there's a hard cap of 21 million. So in my head, econ, supply and demand, I'm like, wait, so the supply stays the same. So if more people come in, demand goes, oh, brilliant. That literally solves the issue I was dealing with. But the best, the best thing that happened to me was the fact that I was an assistant who was getting paid minimum wage and still lived with my parents because I couldn't afford any, I couldn't afford even a dollar's worth of Bitcoin at the time. So I kind of like sat back. I was like, all right, I like this. I will come back to this when the day comes where I have money. You know, fast forward a year, I I then get promoted to agent. 
I then all of a sudden get my first like Christmas bonus as an agent. And I'm like, whoa, this is like more money in a single check that I've ever gotten in my life. Call that same buddy up. I'm like, yo, man, um, how do I buy some Bitcoin? So had I bought it in that, you know, December of 2017, when it was on the way up to 20K and then watched it crater down, I would have been so turned off. I would have never thought twice about Bitcoin and I would have been like, all right, this is stupid. And I would never have like, you know, patiently waited, done a little bit more research, done a little bit more work. And then when the time was right, when I had the extra cash to sort of put aside into it, then I just started like slowly DCAing once a month. And the best was I used to get laughed at at the office when, because ever since I was an assistant, I would take a second laptop and I was trading the stock market while I was an assistant, while I was an agent like that. That was just like, I had to do that at my desk. Um, shout out Papa Musk still to this day, hold some of those Tesla shares that I bought in college. So I don't care what anyone says. It was, uh, like I, I always had to ha have an eye on that stuff. And every single time, you know, some of the agents would come by or some of the assistants would ask me like, you know, what are you buying? Like, what do you, what do you like right now? And I would tell all of them Bitcoin. Like if I have like this, I'm only playing with this because this is a retirement account. Like this is a Roth IRA that I can't touch and I'm not going to get taxed on. But if I just have money to blow on something, I'm going to buy Bitcoin. And this one agent was like, dude, I bought five Bitcoin at 20K and it's down forever and all, all, all. And I told him, I fucking told him, I was like, listen, it's going to go below 5K and you and I are going to fucking buy up as much as we can when it's sub 5K. And then we will never, ever worry about, oh, I'm down on Bitcoin again. And lo and behold, unfortunately for him, I was laid off before the March 2020 crash. But I remember like six or seven months after, you know, Bitcoin started to really climb up and started making new all-time highs consistently into 2020 um, and 2020, I'm sorry, into 2021, I remember texting one of the old assistants and I was like, yo, I was just wondering, man, did you or any of the other assistants ever listen to me about buying Bitcoin? And he, <laughs> he sent me a text going, dude, I think about that conversation every day for the last six months. <laughs> Dude, that's so funny because the same time period, I'm at my old job. I was a software engineer. And to this day, like I did then, same thing. Side computer, trading stocks, but it's in my retirement account. And then I'm always talking about Bitcoin. And then I'm still at the job. And then the, the price starts to rip at the end of 2020. And all the people, I'm still at the office every day. And they're coming over to me and they're like, shit. Like they, they're pissed that like they listen to me talk about it so much. And then within a few months, I was in Miami at the conference and I got a job. You know, I was like, I'm going to go work in Bitcoin. Fuck this. And I quit. And, and they're all just like, dude, they watched me like buy the Bitcoin after telling them about it, watching it rip and then tell them peace out. And I'm going to work in Bitcoin. It was, it was a great feeling. Um, so you found Bitcoin and then you learned that it can make you money. And it, uh, it could buy you some freedom maybe. But what was, what was the, when you started learning about Bitcoin, what was it that really like dug those roots in and like gave you that conviction and sent you down the rabbit hole? Yeah. So after I got laid off, you know, I, I was, I was still trading intensely and, you know, a lot of friends are checking in on me like, Hey, what are you up to? What are you doing? Oh, you know, I'm just, you know, trading stocks. And I copied and pasted the same text to eight different people. And then afterwards I texted them all back. I was like, give me your email. And so I decided at that moment to start just like writing a newsletter. 
At the time, it was stocks only. But I would write a little bit of like a macro piece and write up of like what's going on with the economy, what is the government doing, and how is that impacting everything. And I started just doing a very basic calculation of, hey, this is how much money the Fed is spending buying back junk bonds below market value, but they're paying a full dollar. They're paying 100 cents on the dollar for bonds that are not worth 100 cents on the dollar anymore. And I ran this like really rough, bad calculation, but I was like, if I'm even like kind of right, this means that we're going to have at least 25% inflation in the next like two or three years. And one of the guys on the newsletter is my same buddy who introduced me to Bitcoin a few years ago. And he's like, he read that. And then he texted me. He's like, yo, I got some shit to send you. And he started sending me all these articles. And the one that like to this day is one of the most important ones is BJ Boyabhati's uh, The Bullish Case for Bitcoin. And that like really sparked like a whole new like opening and understanding of like, oh, wow. Okay. All of the issues that I'm seeing with our financial system are really solved by Bitcoin. And that's when I like really started to just dig in deeper and deeper. I like... I drew a lot of the conclusions that Bitcoiners had without fully understanding Bitcoin. And I'm so grateful I had that friend who like just caught that realization and like helped steer me in that direction. Cause otherwise I I'd probably accidentally have turned into a gold bug or I don't even know what. Um, but I like, it, it's, it's like Bitcoin has so many functions and functionalities and and use cases candidly and it is so fascinating how everyone who comes into the space has a different entry point there's a different thing that caught their eyes about bitcoin but as they learn more then you learn so much little by little the the thing that made the world a difference to me was reading all the articles by alex gladstein and hearing about how much privilege we have as americans first off as you know, the country that produces the world reserve currency and just like seeing and hearing the stories of, of real life people today, right now, like I'm the son of two immigrants from Iran. And I've heard all of the stories about the Iranian revolution, Iran before and after the revolution, but those are stories from the past. It, it was so different to me to hear like, whoa, wait, wait, this is happening in, in Afghanistan. Like right now, this is happening in, in Africa today right now and this sounds preachy this sounds lame but i like i talked to my cousin about this because my my dad and then his sister are the only ones in america that everyone else the rest of my dad's siblings and all of my mom's siblings are all still in iran and my cousin and i were talking about it where it was like dude between you me and my brother three of us there are probably another dozen people in like our generation on our family lineage that are all back in Iran. And I'm like, dude, how crazy of a chance is it that we were the ones born in America? Like the opportunities that were afforded, like the privileges that were given again, just being in America, being born here. And so for me, it was like, oh, it's a, this is a no brainer. If this can help anyone, it, it helps our family. It helps people back in Iran. Like talk I can't like really get into details about this, but like talk to people, talk to Iranians about if they have family back home, like how difficult it is to like help them out, take care of them. Like the processes, like that's a country that's been under sanctions 
almost nonstop for the last 50 years. There, People are talking about how Russia's cut off from the SWIFT system. Like Iran has never been a part of the SWIFT system. So something like Bitcoin is, it like, it's a lifeline for a lot of these people, a lot of these families. But unfortunately, you know, that makes us look like terrorists. I digress. Right, right. No, like with the the way that uh, when people say like Bitcoin fixes or Bitcoin fixes these problems in our system, and they, there's a lot of good examples that people have hashed over over and over again. But one I don't think I've heard enough people talk about is, and it's something you mentioned where it's like you said this is kind of lame or whatever. Like it's, but I the privilege and how Bitcoin can help everybody. There's something about to be said about changing the psychology of everybody to to where you succeed and you get more wealthy and you don't have to feel guilty that it was at somebody else's expense or that you ripped somebody off or that you um you know took you know took advantage exploited the system or benefited from privilege if everybody everybody who participates in the system or in the network uh benefits when you benefit no i I think that's so uh that's so beautifully and poetically said like when and you know as well as i do like when you trade a stock like you're you're taking that stock from someone else and i i don't even want to get into like the options trading and all of that like all all that is is just the freaking crap stable that's been legitimized country you just live in a country where you have access to buy american securitized products oh dude like it it's it's laughable the way we're like, okay, we pick and choose who and what countries can essentially become wealthy, can essentially become a part of the developed world. And then like we can go on and on about like the the crazy loans and the, the predatory nature of you know the IMF and WEF and the way they just like suppress the global south and then they suppress all of these other countries to essentially hold them to a standard that they would never ask America or Canada or any European country to. And and the example that always I like to point out is Sri Lanka. Like Sri Lanka, right before it collapsed in 2022 and, and the president at the time was thrown out, they had an ESG rating of like 95%. They were like one of the top five ESG rated countries in the world. America, the United States of America, the greatest country in the world, has like a 60 or 70 ESG rating. And that just, that goes to show you how, again, it's like rules for thee and not me. Like we instill on these other countries policies that we know will inhibit their growth, will never allow them to like really exponentially grow in a way that we benefited from and much of the developed world has benefited from. And it it just goes back to the dollar and who controls the dollar and the money. Partner. Right, right. And it's the, the, the people that are in these countries, they know they're being exploited they know who's exploiting them for the most part uh and that 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 builds that resentment between them and us as well like people from different countries and the um it makes you wonder how much energy how much what is the cost in society of trust like how much are we how much energy are we expending trying to maintain or build a facade of trust if not if not real trust and if we didn't need to do that, just how that would just, you know, again, it just realigns the way people interact across borders, across time, uh, just more cooperative, less uh, resentment, less guilt. 
I think, I think the harsh reality for us as Americans is there was a, there was a period, there was a period, and I would say it was probably World War II until like until maybe the mid to late fifties, where we actually were putting in the effort, the energy, and growing that trust around the world. Because um, we were incentivized. You know, I, to. We were incentivized because we we created the dollar system, and we want we essentially wanted to export the dollar to everywhere in the world. We wanted to make sure everyone was using the dollar, so we were bending over backwards and working with them in any way possible. Um, but and I'm like I'm not trying to make this all about Iran, but I am telling you guys there is a reason why in America we don't talk about Iran, and you can literally go to Mexico, you can go to Canada, you can go to Europe. They talk about Iran very openly. It's a, it's as though it's one of the top ten economies in the world because, surprise, it actually is. But in America, we like act like it's some third world country that only funds terrorists. Um, the moment we started losing the trust was actually in 1957. That was the first time the CIA ever instituted a color revolution against surprise, surprise, Iran. Um, if you or anyone is subscribed to the actual print magazine at Bitcoin Magazine, um, I wrote an article actually detailing the accounts. But it, it essentially, that was the turning point where America, instead of starting to export the dollar, we instead started to try to export democracy and our values. And then slowly over time, we have essentially been withdrawing from a, a savings account where the savings instead of dollars, it was trust. It was to trust the world. And for the last 60, 70 years, we've been depleting the savings account. And right now, honestly, there's nothing in there. We're in debt. And so that's why we weren't invited to the peace negotiations between Russia and Ukraine. And it was Macron and France leading those peace talks. That's why, for whatever reason, Xi Jinping literally couldn't care less about talking to Biden or the US about anything whatsoever, and why Xi Jinping is best friends now with not only Vladimir Putin, but Iran's President Raisi. Like, there are, there's a subtle shift ha happening around the world, and we continue to act like, no, it, it's all good. Like, we, we're under control. It's like, dude, Watch the news that starts and finishes in another country. Watch pure Canadian news. Watch pure European news. Watch pure any news outside of America. It is night and day different. And it is fascinating because, it, again, our news media is a whole propaganda machine, as is all media around right. the world, I know. But like, there's a reason why our perspective is a certain way and why the rest of the world is not that way I mean, anymore. Yeah. There was a period oh, where it was. Oh, oh. Can I hop in here? Just on that topic, what, what do you think about uh, independent media? I mean, you're, you have been recording yourself um, talking about a variety of subjects. And I'm curious about what is inside of you that makes you want to spread the message? Like, why do you want to? Why do you want to spread the Bitcoin message? Honestly, because <laughs> no, I, like for me, like it goes back to the same reason why I, I wanted to, you know, share my investments and my stocks. It, it comes down to like 
three three very simple things. Like for me, math was super super easy growing up, and so as a result, like I could apply that to the investing world, and it just made sense and clicked for me very quickly and very easily. So I understood it off the bat, and I wanted to share that. I wanted to help that. There's a line in a J. Cole song. The song is Middle Child. Um, and the line goes, I'm not going to say the word, but uh, what well, good is first class if my homies can't sit with me. And it, like, I remember hearing that. I'm like, dude, that's so right. There's no point in being successful if like my friends aren't here with me. Like, what, What's the point of being rich and being able to fly to wherever I want and snowboard wherever if like my friends can't do that? Like, That sounds like a pretty lonely life. Nobody so, wants to go to heaven for if their me, family's it was, not going to be there. Exactly. So like, it's all, it it goes back to like, I want a bare minimum. I want my family and friends along for this ride. And, and then the, the final piece is just like, dude, when you grow up as an Iranian American in this country in particular, and like, (laughs) I've known since I was 10, nine or 10 years old that the American media is full of shit. Because when Bush and Cheney started chanting and saying like, hey, there are weapons of mass destruction in Iraq, I will never forget my dad laughing, laughing at the TV and going, yeah, because your daddy sold it to Saddam. Because very famously, again, everything goes back to Iran during the Iran-Iraq war, during the Reagan administration, the famous, um, oh my God, what was it? the Nicaraguan Nicaraguan uh, uh, arms deals and stuff, but like the U.S. was openly selling weapons to Saddam Hussein. Like they were on Iraq's side during that proxy war because they did not support the new regime that had just come in after the revolution. So every Iranian has known forever that Saddam Hussein has had weapons of mass destruction, specifically because the U.S. sold it to them in the 80s. So at that moment, I've always known that the media is full of shit. Um, and so like it, it's an Iranian's mission to like remind everyone that our government is actually full of cronies and liars. The, yeah, the, um, the, everybody's a liar and to back what you we were talking about trust earlier and you talked about, we were exporting trust and really to, at this point to say that they're debasing the dollar is they're debasing trust in the United States with, with every dollar they print with every quantitative easing round. It's just trust. So it's how much debt can we build up before they lose trust? It's when you frame it that way, it makes it a little more clear about what's going to happen next. We, I don't know exactly what's going to happen next. I can't tell you which war is going to kick off next, but I can tell you that things are going to trend down for the US dollar uh, and US influence overseas. And that's going to affect trading and the, and the whole shipping route system. I mean, inflation, it's, that's in the future. I just don't know the script yet. Oh, I mean, it, it already has like, here's the, here's the sad truth. That, and you know, I have the mandibles right here, but it, it like, it's so, I, I say it's so scary how accurate it's going to be. And then of course, like the future never works out as you expected. But, but the simple truth is this, the rest of the world will have moved on from the dollar long before we have. And we will we'll see be to know. more of these. Well, we'd last to know it. And it like, like, let me, I'll ask this to both of you. And, and it's a very simple question. 
like there are two people who walk up to you. One guy says like, hey man, come over here. The other guy is holding a $5 bill and said, hey, I'll give you this if you come over here. Who do you trust more? Yeah. Going with the money. So we're going we're gonna to keep doing that to our own citizens. We, we've tried. We've tried to keep doing that to other countries, but other countries are now wisening up like, oh shit, if I take that $5 bill and follow this guy, he's going to jump me and take hundreds of dollars from me, not just give me the five. So everyone else has figured that out. We are the last ones to realize it, unfortunately. Yeah, it's... Yeah, I don't know if I'd trust the, the five dollar dude. I'm not sure. Well, it, the uh, like, I don't know. Now that I tell you the answer, yeah, right. right? Keep your five dollars. The the you mentioned earlier how like you watch the news in these different countries and just how different it is and how little people know what's really going on outside their borders, and it's with AI and with just all the psyops online, um, which all you just you you can't. There's no way to know what's real anymore. It's anything on AI is to the point where it could be a familiar face and it would take you a while, at least now to figure out if it was real. I don't even know if you motherfuckers are exactly. real. I don't even know. <laughs> so as, as, the, as things get bad, things break apart. As the dollar starts failing, as the American trust starts falling apart, you can't even be sure that you're going to know that it's coming. Like you're not going to see it coming. Everything is, is fed to you is, is, a, is bullshit. It's a psyop. So when it is too late, if you're not ready, you're shit out of luck. It's a very real risk anyway. Yeah. I, well, the shit out of luck moment, man, that seems like such a devastational situation. If you don't realize, you know. Right. Like if you're in Lebanon and like the banks just shut down, your money's gone. They didn't see it coming. Or dude, well, some it, of them did, you know. You, you, you don't even need to go to Lebanon. Just go up north, man. You you donated to the wrong cause and your bank account got shut down in Canada. Like, or to be honest with you, like, I don't know if we really want to go there, but like, honestly, I've been thinking about this all day. I despise Donald Trump, right? I just think he's an asshole. I don't think he's actually a good leader. I, I don't. But what we just witnessed in Colorado is in fucking sane to me. I'm sorry, but like, what is happening in America? And what, can in can Canada? you just remind our listeners for what that is that yes. just happened in Colorado? So, as of so today, it, we are recording this on Wednesday, December twentieth. Yesterday, Tuesday, December nineteenth, democracy in America changed forever when the Colorado Supreme Court essentially did not unanimously. It was a split decision, four to three, determined that Donald Trump, because of the insurrection on January sixth installed or used article 14 or whatever it is that was created for the civil war to essentially say, if you were a part of the civil war, you can't be a part of the government valid. They're say, they use that to justify <laughs> Donald Trump, not being a part of the ballot. Um, no court has actually found Donald Trump guilty. And this is this is something that I learned today. So everyone's up in arms like, oh, the Democrats. Is no, no. So all seven, all seven Supreme Court justices in Colorado are Democrat. If it was a Democrat hit, it would have been unanimous. Do you want to know where the split actually was? And this is this is where it's starting to get like uncomfortable. For it was a was it like three Ivy League judges and three non Ivy League judges? Yeah. Yep. Four. Four. 
Four Ivy League judges voted to say Donald Trump is off, and the three judges who said, no, no he should be allowed to stay on the ballot were three judges who all went to Denver. law school in yeah. Denver. And it's like, wait a minute. When did that become the party line? When Whoa. did Harvard speak on my behalf? When did, like, so. Oh, I, didn't, I didn't realize that. It, it's insane to see, unfortunately, like, to your point earlier, like, we're going to be the last ones to know, and it's going to be scary when, you know, shit hits the fan. Like, dude, shit is hitting the fan. Like, it, it is here in America right now. And if you're not paying attention, it, it like, it's it's happening. Do you, like, I, my, not to, I, one last thought on this is, like, honestly, going back to, like, being an independent journalist, even though I, I say that very loosely about myself, um, my biggest fear is, you know, attacks not on me, but on my family. Um, you know, all of a sudden something crazy happens to my dad or the IRS comes after my mom or, you know, banks come after my family's house for some reason, all because, you know, I was pounding certain drums or I'm open and honest about the fact that I, I own and hold my own keys for Bitcoin, for example. Um, this is... A, we are in the first inning of what is about to be a very scary battle. Yeah, I feel that. Um, how, how do you think that this is all going to play out with you know with these risks that are we're facing um, and the problems that are bound to happen? How does what if this all just plays out during this a crazy face ripping bull market? Like how do the how do the how do they the state the feds the just the 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 people that Good are question. against it? How do they keep a lid on it? Do they try? Do they go? Do they overreact? Do they? Does that like spark not a like you know civil war in the sense of people lining up in battle, but like like a legal and cultural civil war, which is already kind of starting? I mean, I think unfortunately the masses are going to just accept whatever is told. Um, you know, I have some very, very intelligent and close friends of mine who I've had like very spirited debates and discussions about, you know, the necessity to separate state and money. And ultimately it, it just goes back to this idea of, of financial privilege. And, and the most common answer that I get back is like, right, but like the dollar works for me. So like, why do we need to change it? And then I remind them, it's like, right. Because you are in the minority that it works for, unfortunately. And if we expand this out, even just in America, the dollar doesn't work for everyone. And then you want to expand it out to the world, it surely doesn't work for everyone. Um, but like, you know, I, I see a lot of exuberance, especially on Bitcoin Twitter, all oh, the ETFs coming or all of this or that. Dan, like you, you trade in the markets like me, and I, I think you've at least heard a saying similar to this. But the market tends to correct for maximum pain, and if every single Bitcoiner is expecting to become a millionaire by this time next year, when the ETFs are out live and we're on the other side of the having, the market has a completely different plan for you. And if you don't think that the big dogs step on the scales in Wall Street already. Like, just look at the GameStop saga and look at the way that they then turn to Congress and force Congress to fix their mistake. You really think they're going to let you win because we hold our own keys in Bitcoin? 
it it's going to get ugly and scary, especially for us as Bitcoiners, more so than the average person, I think, unfortunately. Like I could, you, I, you just made me think of this phrase. I, I want to say that the market is like God in a way, you know, it has a plan for you Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to hurt you. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I take a similar, but different outlook. I think, um, and maybe mine's just a little too optimistic. Maybe that's where my blind spot is, but I think, these pumps do come and I think everybody starts to anticipate them, like you said. And if, you know, if Mike said it, if the market's like God, it decides it has its own plan. The biggest temptation, the biggest you know problem is if you try to go into those fiat traps like the ETF or options or, you know, these different ways of getting leverage. We saw like with BlockFi, these, you know, the fiat traps are set and you think, oh, I can, I know this is going to go up. So I can put this up for collateral. I can take out this loan. I can short the dollar. I can buy all these options, yada, yada. And then, yeah, maybe over the trend of time, these things do go up, but there's a lot of dips and a lot of volatility in between and you get liquidated and you buy options that you didn't get the timing right. You lost all your money. Um, So it's, I almost wonder if the state's kind of retreated a little bit and set up shop a little further down where it's like, we're going to catch you now. We're going to give you a really a chance to uh, lose to the house and to hit events where we're going to get a big tax um, check out of you for letting you use these products. And everybody's just kind of fighting along this green curve up. Oh, I, I definitely agree, but I w- I'll take it even a step further. Um, like they don't want us holding our own keys. And, and so that it, that's why they're creating these products. Like I recently learned how to play craps and I remember turning to my dad as, as we we're playing a little bit and he's explaining some of the rules. I was like, wait a minute, you mean like how you can straddle a stock? That's what we're doing right now on a craps table. And you, you're telling me that craps came before the stock market. So so someone literally took a crap stable and applied it to the stock market. And now put the ETF and then what will eventually come is options trading off of these ETFs and every other financially engineered product that you can imagine for Bitcoin, to your point, it is to separate us from our Bitcoin, whether it's to force us to pay taxes, which Uncle Sam always wants his cut, or it's for, you know, BlackRock or insert your favorite financial institution to instead be the bag holder. Like I I am concerned that there is so much, there is a lot of cheering for things that I am like, really? You're happy that BlackRock is getting involved in this space? BlackRock, like literally the evilest, most corrupt, scary organization in the world that probably controls everything secretly and subtly you're excited for the fact that you know the sec is practicing its lawsuits against like lesser cryptos that don't matter for the eventual day where if gary gensler isn't there all all that needs to happen for the sec to turn around and say hey bitcoin's actually a security and we're going to come after swan we're going to come after 
I don't know, Bitcoin magazine because you guys talk about it and shill it. Or we're going to come after Block, Square because you guys sell it. We're going to come after Coinbase because you guys sell Bitcoin. We're going to come after Tesla because you guys hold Bitcoin. All that needs to happen is Gary Gensler needs to get replaced with an anti-Bitcoin SEC chair. And that can literally happen tomorrow if Biden or the powers that be decide so. So I worry that we sometimes are celebrating the wrong things and there are there are subtle clues being left of what the tactics are to separate us from our Bitcoin. And yeah, I uh, I agree with that because one of the way I kind of think about it is we need to be get to a point where we're less worried, like, oh, any at any point in time, the SEC can decide it's a security and kind of defeat them and kind of get to the point where that is not a threat that they fear us. Like they would not dare, um, you know, we will release the Epstein list and embarrass all y'all. If you, uh, if you try to do that to, to Bitcoin. Um, but we won't get to that point if they keep taking your private keys from you, um, and forcing you to liquidate, forcing you to sell and forcing you to use or to use Bitcoin on their, um, home court. Yeah. I, uh, I, my girlfriend and I have talked about this and I've told her like, Hey, you know, if we're going to do this long term, you got to just know and understand that I fully expecting one day to have to leave America because I'm not willing to separate with my Bitcoin. And you're like, that, that's part of dating me. Like you got to be ready for that moment where we got to just pack our bags and pop down to Mexico and then figure it out from there. Kind of a thing. Um, but yeah, that Epstein list. January is going to be nuts. Here's my, here's, I'm, I got a conspiracy theory though. I mean, I know that the, like, that's the ending of the play, right? I think they, uh, I think they leaked that news that that was going to come out because I think that they're trying to blackmail some people into some votes in Congress and for maybe some, some rulings and some court decisions. Um, and some people weren't playing ball and they were like, all right, we're going to lease the Epstein list and you're going to be on it. And they're like, all right, well, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll think about it. I'll think about that vote now. And you're going to be on it, regardless of whether they were or not. Right, right. I, I, have, I have another take. Because I, I was doing a little digging on just like, all right, like 150 names. And, and some reports have come out of like who the potential names are. I don't think it's going to be any anything interesting. Hmm. I actually think it's going to be a nothing burger. And it's going to be Unless you're on the like, list. No, then they're going to no, be like, no. shit. I, I, like, dude, part, part of the 150 Apple. names that are going to be released... No, but like part of the 150 <laughs> names are going to be like victims yeah, yeah. and like other yeah. like tangential pieces yeah. to this. So it's like, dude, the people whose names like we should know are not being released on this list. That's just my take. Of but also, Those, you never it'll be redacted again. I, I didn't yeah, they'll kill release myself. release the list of all the associates and 20 of them will be redacted. Right. So... Yeah, you know, I have to ask this. This is a great little tie-in. Man, I have so many things to ask you tonight. But I do want to get to this one particular point because you brought it up. I told you earlier, Dan, about uh, Epstein and the thought of Epstein converting. His inputs were young girls and his outputs were uh, uh, compromised, like powerful men. Interesting interesting inputs and outputs, right? Um, I was curious about the 
how do you let a society get so evil that that is your sort of metric of success? Wait, I don't, I mean, I, I could put a tinfoil hat on and tell you the conspiracy theory that I really am starting to buy into a lot right now on that. Uh, but that's more the uh, IDF stuff. Okay. If, if anyone is familiar with that conspiracy theory, that's that's the one that I, wait, I've wait, been buying. Wait, which IDF conspiracy theory? That through uh, whatever her name Maxwell is, Jolene, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. or however I say it, Maxwell, like because of her dad's tie-ins back to Israel and the IDF that like actually Epstein has secretly been a ploy for Israel to get U.S. Congress people in compromised positions. So that, that is support. how Israel gets so much leverage. Uh, not to mention like I, I did a – I had a whole tweet rant on this of the day after the uh, atrocities on October 7th, you had – Lindsey Graham calling to bomb Iranian oil fields. Lindsey Graham's number one donor over the last five years is the Republican Israeli coalition. Number two donor is Lockheed Martin. And number three is Northrop Grumman. Jeez, I wonder who was in his ear asking for war to start with oh, of Iran. Course. Like, so the neoconservatives are the worst. There's it, like it's so naked and blatant since the Bush administration, right? Like it's it's, it's terrible. Like, I keep bringing up Iran. Of course, I know. of course. Sorry, but it, like, there's there's just so much. There's so many tie-ins and so many like questions around, especially like why why America and American politicians are so like passionately for Israel that like this tie-in with. Epstein and his ties back to Israel, like honestly, it kind of makes sense to me. Like that—that that is a more of a narrative that I buy than like Epstein. Epstein's barometer of success is that he can get old men, young women. Right. What which is that weird. makes me think about what what we think the Epstein story is the angle and that list whatever we think it is and what it actually is we don't know right so this leads us to these conspiracies about it and everybody's got a different take and these are pretty terrible things and it's it got to the point where it was it's a meme that almost everybody in the world at this point knows who jeffrey epstein is that he didn't kill himself and some theory attached to why that's so popular. I mean, nobody knew who this guy was four years ago, but after 2019, that summer, after he killed himself, like this thing was the one of the most viral memes in the month, one of the stickiest ones. So is what that story is really so bad that they're willing to let these theories circulate throughout society and get to the point where everybody knows them or did, you know, how could something be worse than what we've already thought of? And if, yeah, it, it, what if it's worse? That, dude, that, but that, that's the, that's the thing you got to ask yourself is like the fact that they like, dude, they could have killed this story the second it started circulating if, if there was something to kill it with. And that's the issue. That's the underlying issue. And if I've learned anything about the U.S. government in my time of like, not just, uh, not just learning about the, government through us history in school but like 
understanding the flaws of our government and the mistakes that we made throughout our history, we, when we know we can crush something, we do. But when we know we can't, like, to your point, we lied. dude, <laughs> it is, if they're not, if they're letting us talk about this stuff in the way that we do, dude, the real story, oh, I, I don't even want to start going down the rabbit hole of imagining what And here's, and this is, the, this is what is the craziest thing to me. Like somebody says the most benign, I think Craig Wright's crazy and he's an extreme example, but like somebody tweeted, Craig Wright is a fraud and they've been dealing with litigation in European courts for years. It's costing them tons of money. Think of that case right there. And think about all of the most powerful people in the world who are like associated in some way in lore or in picture or whatever to Jeffrey Epstein, Bill Gates, actors, former presidents, senators, some of the most powerful lawyers in the world. If all of these conspiracy theories about me were circling throughout the world because of this, you know, document or file that's been sealed how i would be suing the shit out of the government to get that stuff unearthed to vindicate me and none of them are doing it nobody i i will say this because uh you know i was really grateful at bitcoin magazine to to be a part of helping hot not and covering that trial uh, and i learned a lot about you know the rights and freedoms that we have in america um versus just Europe or Canada, um, and our First Amendment really protects us. True, um, and it, it affords us the ability to, you know, and it was the whole point. The whole point was our founding fathers were critical of the government that ruled them, so they wanted to allow and afford the citizens of this new country to be critical of the government, if and when they saw fit. Um, for now, it is allowed. I am concerned and worried, and I think, unfortunately, cancel culture plays a, a hand into this, that eventually it will change. And I think what will scare me is if, you know, Bill Gates' name gets thrown around all the time with, with this stuff. Bill Gates turns around and, you know, comes after the three of us because we said his name during the Epstein part of this episode. Dude, First Amendment is done. Like we're not winning a lawsuit against Bill Gates. Like he is going to litigate us to death, but, and all I'm going to say is the first amendment protects my right to have that conversation. And if you rule against me, then that is the end of American democracy and civilization as we have known it forever. And I think whether it's, you know, something to do with Epstein, you know, whether it's being critical of Biden or whoever's in office, whatever it is, I think that will be the turning point if, to put it more simply, but very bluntly, if cancel culture seeps into the judicial system, we have a real problem. Yeah. And I want to like share, I'm starting to feel like that might be closer to actually happening than, you know, just a threat in the future that we kind of talk about all the time. So isn't that just that's Colorado too? Right, it's, exactly. It's People, right you now. can't, you cannot. Can't, used to be like you'd be afraid of the law to punish you for something. Now it's getting to the point where you can't count on the law to not or to protect you or to vindicate you, even if you've done nothing wrong. It's like you don't know if they're coming after you 
if you did something or if you didn't something or if something's going to be made illegal, they're coming after you again. And so it's getting to the point where, and I got to preface this by saying there was a, you know, the Buffalo Bills coach got was a little bit of hot water. It was kind of funny because he made a comparison to like 9-11, right? And then you got Shane Gillis, the comedian who had a bit about, he's like, I'm not saying I like Al Qaeda, but like I can identify with them more than, you know, than the U.S. military in some of these situations where it's I'm starting to feel like a little inspired by the Taliban, where it's like you can send eight trillion dollars, the entire U.S. military, all of your allies, and you can spend 20 years squandering everything. And I'm still going to be rollerblading down Kabul doing spins on TikTok because we came back and took the thing back as soon as you ran out of the energy and trust to keep doing it. That's how I'm starting to feel like maybe we got to do that. I love that. <laughs> that, that was great. Dad. <laughs> oh, no, I mean, it, okay, go ahead. Go ahead. No, 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 go. I was going to ask you, I did. I, I was going to segue to a, a different question, but if you had something else, else to say, no, no, no. I had nothing productive oh. to add to that. Dan is so poetic. <laughs> It's true. He, he he has his moments for sure. Uh, more definitely more than I do. I'll tell you that. Well, I do have my moments too. Um, anyway, this is one of them right now. Um, so the, the question I wanted to ask you is, uh, which we usually ask the guests to come on here. You know, I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but um, what aspect of Bitcoin? I'm, a, I'm having got a blast. You in? So, like, if you guys All want right, to keep cool. going, yeah, I'll yeah, keep yeah. Going. Um, say it better, Dan, please. Yeah, I, I guess the the aspect of Bitcoin now that just like kind of blows your mind. Like maybe if you hit like a good sativa and you you start s- spinning down a rabbit hole, where would which rabbit hole would you be going down right now? The fact that you can literally send money at any or you can send value at, to anyone in the world at any point in time. Because my entire life, it has been nine to five business hours with a little bit of a fee and it takes two to three business days. And then maybe if you're lucky, like, you know, you won't screw it up and the bank transfer will go through. Like, truly, it's mind boggling to me that we are, we have finally reached a point that, and I'm so annoyed that Jeff Booth, like he said it one time on Preston Pish's podcast and then I've asked him all the time to like re-explain it to me because he could say it's so much better. But do you know the you know what a 404 error yeah, is? Yeah, I mean it's not found when you go to a website. You're trying to access a page that right. doesn't exist. Right. So there's actually a whole series of 400 yeah, yeah, error yeah. codes. And I believe it's the 402 error is payment not yeah. found. But the the thing is the 400 codes are not hard coded into like your website. It's not hard coded into it's, it's your part of the computer. protocol. It's hard coded into Exactly. It's in the internet. So that means when they created the internet, they literally anticipated and expected a use case where there will be a money that transacts directly on the internet. Because if you go to whatever bank you use and you try to do something and the page is not found, you get a 404 error. You don't get the 402. The 402 error has been there for since the internet was created. It, they were They've literally been waiting for Bitcoin this whole damn time. That to me is the coolest part of it. Yeah, I'm, I'm a software engineer, so like this is a, a common part of my life, right? You so know better like, than to I do. expand on what you're saying, um, there's just a, a certain structure that you should make to 
request information from an API. And if, but there's no structure to request information that would trigger a 402. We, they never created it. So, um, all it in a metaphorical way, we just have to build the, build the protocol and connect it. Yeah. That see poetic build the bridge. <laughs> Actually, it's going to be, it's going to be a moment like, like Reagan, when he said, Mr. Gorbachev tear down this wall and it's going to be like the wall between people. 404 and 402. You know, I was going to say the wall between fiat and, and, and Bitcoin to let people, to let people ah, yeah, yeah. choose freedom. That's the smarter choice. Just running. Um, I had two, two questions before we wrapped up, but you don't have to answer both of them. I'll answer uh, all and three. Dan, if you, if you had something else to add or yeah, I had one say, more. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, go for it. At the beginning, you said you you have been really passionate about writing. Um, so my question was, what what do you want to write about, and who what who who's your audience that you're thinking about writing to? So I don't want to give too much of it away because I'm, I'm a big believer. If you, if you talk too much before you do the work, you end up not sure. doing the work. Um, I would say subscribe to my Substack. I'm, I'm working on a series right now that's slowly going to trickle out that is going to eventually lead to a very longer uh, piece that will be a lot of pages. Um, the audience for that is me from 10 years ago that like it's for you know me before i really woke up to what is going on in the world and society um and honestly like the name of the series is going to be i've been lied to my whole life so i'll just leave it at that you know i I just want to add to that real quick writing to yourself something i've noticed lately is that the content you share, we share online, the memes, we, you send, um, memes and you, or you get a shitload of likes and it's, you can tell like, these are after a while that these are the people that see life from your perspective. They have a lot of the same context that you have. Um, and they just, they understand your irony and your framing. And then you start to realize how many people are like you. And then if you want to convince somebody to buy Bitcoin or to follow this, you know, strategy or whatever you you're trying to write about just write to yourself because there's people out there's so many people like you and you know how to um how to speak to yourself but you're speaking to so many other people at the same time when you do it well yeah i I will say on that note and, and i've had this conversation with a few people now um i maybe it's the the bear market that got us all down on it but like i've kind of put my foot down. I'm like, I don't, I don't try to convince anyone to buy Bitcoin. And I say that literally after being on a chairlift on Sunday, sitting next to two complete strangers. And we were like shooting the shit, talking about whatever. And then like, you know, asking each other what we do. I brought up, Oh, you know, I, I write about finance and the economy a little bit. Um, and then this girl literally was like, Oh, like, what are you, what are you investing in? Like, oh, like all this. I was like, well, if you're asking, I'll tell you, but I'm not going to like openly be like, you should just go buy Bitcoin. Um, I, I, I 
I'm a big believer of you get Bitcoin at the price you deserve. Um, and, and honestly, man, like I'm not trying to be an asshole about it, but like, dude, Americans don't need Bitcoin. Like it, it's a luxury good for America. That That's why we're seeing ordinals blow up in my opinion. Um, the people who need Bitcoin are the people who, you know, in Lebanon who are getting locked out of their bank accounts. It's, you know, my aunt who needs her rent money for this month. It's back in Iran or it's, you know, the Canadian truckers who have their GoFundMes shut down or it's people in Argentina who are dealing with insane inflation. Those are the people who need Bitcoin. Um, and I'm like, I, I fully support anyone, especially Americans buying Bitcoin, but like, we don't need it. We'll be, we will be fine. We will be able to get our hands on Bitcoin. It's the rest of the world that needs it today, right now. And I would caveat and say, if you want to live the American system, the Amer in the American state, and you don't want it to boogie out or you don't want to have alternatives, then it's probably more for you though. Or it's it's a it's a tool to an escape if you're thinking about escape. Yeah, if if you want to get right, out of right. the magazine, exactly, system, not exactly. stay in it. Yeah, I I read something today, and I actually wrote a report up on it. Of the latest estimates are, it takes three point four million dollars in your lifetime to live the American dream. Now, just to be a middle class American, you need to make three point four million dollars to be middle class American. When did being a millionaire equate to being a millionaire? I mean, a middle being a millionaire equates to being middle Hell, class. Hell, being a millionaire and still not being middle class. Since they printed $7 trillion or whatever the fuck it was. Exactly. <laughs> it's just, exactly. That's the trickle-down economics. Got to love that, man. Trickle-down economics. Works for some. Not Did I just all, say trickle down economics? You know, you, you fumbled, <laughs> but I picked it up and I, I, I took it in for the Thank touchdown. You. You, you get you get credit for the yards, but Thank you. my I thought you were going to do basketball. Yeah, okay. Okay. No, right. I, dude, oh, so bitter about fantasy football right now. But I digress. <laughs> I digress. If anyone knows where Arthur Smith lives, let me know. I'm going to waterboard that motherfucker. Fucking. Ah. Sorry. Sorry. This is what happens well, when you cute. lose by three yards. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm unfortunately not familiar with the game, but um, I do, <laughs> I do want to uh, let you talk about stuff you're working on and have this little moment for yourself um, before we wrap up. So, uh, unless, and, yeah, I mean, I, I think we probably go. Ahead. You never asked those two questions, bro. Dan asked a uh, Dan asked a question. Actually, that's the thing. It's going to take two... us into a further place, and, and just. I don't want to take too much of the time, so that's why. I mean, if you want to go to bed, you can go to bed. But if you want to ask the questions, you can ask the questions. Dan, ask, ask your questions. What do you say? All right, man. I had two questions. Two questions were, why Jerry Maguire? Like, what the fuck is it about Jerry Maguire? <laughs> Show yeah, me the, the other one. And then the other one. And then the other one. Um, what's your thoughts on Bitcoin Mag? So you can you can answer both of them. You can answer one. It doesn't matter. You can end the will, night. I'll, up to you. I'll start. I'll start the, with the first one. Um, I don't. I tr like. I watched it when I was a little kid, and not little. I think I was maybe twelve years old. But the the real truth behind the story was, I probably into much later in my life than I should openly admit. Like 
not only thought, but believed in my core and in my heart that I was going to be a professional soccer player. And there, there was a point in my teenage years where my parents were really sick of hearing that. And so being a sports agent was almost like the, like, get the monkey off my back. Like, Oh, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be a sports agent in my head. I'm like, I'm going to be a professional soccer player. Like, fuck up mom. Like, whatever you say. Yeah. 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 Um, and then like finally at a certain point in high school, I was like, okay, uh, I'm not going to be a professional soccer player, but you know, being an agent, like actually does sound kind of interesting. And like, I get to stay involved in, in the sports world. So it was, it started off as like a way to get my parents off my back. But then I like, it just, it, the lie stuck around long enough that I like pursued it. Um, and it fun. It was, it was really interesting. Um, what but age were you when you saw Jerry Maguire? I think I was 11 or 12 years old. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So that's, like, most impact, that's like an yeah. impactful time for a movie, yeah, for sure. Yeah. It was It was literally like, it, it, <laughs> my parents joke, it was like, I wouldn't shut up about it pretty much ever since then. Oh, um, that makes sense. That makes sense. My thoughts on BM, um, I still have some very good friends who work there. You know, I'm, I, I have nothing but respect for the team over there. You know, I view some of those people as like mentors to myself. Um, and, and I root for their success. Uh, I personally just don't care for the ordinals sort of pursuit. I do, however, kind of understand like that, that is what a free market dictates. Like if, if they didn't create this ordinals marketplace, like someone else was going to, and someone else was going to make that money because there is money to be made there. And whether I agree with that or not is irrelevant. Like I think, you know, our military industrial complex is like the devil reincarnated and alive and well. So I will never buy an ETF. I will never buy Northrop Grumman stock directly. Like I won't touch those kind of stocks. That's just like a personal choice for myself. The stocks exist. People have made millions of dollars on it. My aunt used to work at Boeing. Like I have friends who work at Northrop Grumman. So it's like I've seen people who succeed in that world. And I, again, I'm a, I'm a real free market capitalist. Um, it's just, it's not my cup of tea, but that doesn't mean it. I don't hold it against people for, you know, pursuing that or like, yeah, you know what? And not that. David gives a fuck what I think or needs my advice. But if I, if I, if I, if I could give him advice, my only advice would be that, um, as a free market capitalist myself, I don't care. Like it doesn't bother me. It's not my thing, but it's like you said, there's money to be made. Somebody's going to make it. That's fine. You do that if you want to, but there's the kind of posture that he takes is, you know, we just, we have to support the whole Bitcoin community. We're still trying to be impartial it's like, well, you're not really being impartial if you're making money off of it, but just just own it. And I think people would be less likely to give you such a hard time about it because um, I think everybody kind of knows, especially in bull markets, we're reminded that people shitcoin a little bit and people, they gamble and they, they take chances. But um, I don't care if anybody does that. And I don't think most people care. But if you come to Twitter or you come to the community and you say, please tell me that I didn't do anything wrong or, um, 
that this is, you know, it's okay to do this and absolve my guilt. If that's what you're doing, some people do that. That's when people are just going to rip your throat out for it and just treat, be so pissed. It's like, just don't try to appease it. Just own yeah. it. It's a good, yeah. ba- a bit, good battlefield yeah. imagery there. I, like I go back and forth on this because like, you know, it, it's hard to be impartial when you are called Bitcoin magazine and you want to write, write content that that's pro Bitcoin. And I, like, I remember specifically when they offered me the job, like I had a very long conversation with CK where I was like, like you, you know, I have other tokens. Right. And like, you know, I still am going to invest in stocks. And, and it was like, he he actually specifically told me he's like you're the perfect counterbalance that we need right now because like we're we're overboard we're like too evangelical about Bitcoin and we we need someone to almost like bring us back. Um, so on that note, if uh, Bitcoin Magazine wants to restart Bitcoin Magazine Live, uh, <laughs> but at it at the truth of it, I think that you know the mission they're on and the work they're doing is ultimately helping helping to push Bitcoin in the right, right direction, which is more adoption. Um, whether it sticks, whether these are the types of people that we want, whether this is actually helpful, that's a whole separate topic. But if you want to just look numerically speaking of how many wallets have been opened up, you know, how much more volume, you can look at the fees right now and, and you you develop and have a, a genuine argument to say, hey, they are driving a form of adoption. Whether you like that adoption or not, that's just your emotions playing. And also, the it, this is a craze. This is a, I mean, look at the fees, look at the volume. This is, to ignore this or to just write this off is foolish. And what better way to learn about what this massive new development is on Bitcoin than to take part in it, to build a marketplace on it, to experiment with it, to write about it, to learn about it, because whether you like it or not, being able to inscribe something on the blockchain is popular. It's going to remain popular. And the only way it won't remain popular is if people fork and which is another huge event. So you have to pay attention to what's going on because it has a lot of implications to be the magazine and the publication that most people come to, to learn about Bitcoin and get good information about Bitcoin having experts who are actually in the, you know, in the trenches with this reporting about it is beneficial for everybody, all the readers, whether they have, you know, they think it's tasteful or not, it's happening. Yeah. Like there's a, like I'm dude, I'm almost done with ego is the enemy. Uh, really reminded me how big my ego has gotten, especially over the last few years. Um, and I honestly, this is going to be my ego coming out, but there's a lot of egos on Bitcoin Twitter right now that are really sensitive to a lot of things going on. And I, I think you put it really best. Like, dude, iron sharpens iron. Like we've got to, we've got to iterate. We've got to try these things because it, it's never the first iteration. Um, Viagra was not created as a boner pill. It was created as heart medication. We just realized later on that it would be a really good boner pill. Like, like who knows what inscriptions actually could be used for? <laughs> it's true just a though. For scientists, just this, these scientists inside of a lab, like we need to get this boner pill working. 
But like, like it was heart med. Like they they started thinking they were creating heart medication, and then they found another use for it. Like that, if we don't think that that's possible, then what are you doing? Yeah, I mean, if I think that I think the one of the most important things about descriptions to take away for me is that uh, if you can if you can send a meme, you can send anything. Ultimately, you just have to compress the information down. And what are we gonna what are we gonna learn about sending information in these in this format that is um, immutable? It's not gonna be JPEGs forever. Something's gonna happen. Something's gonna come from it. Um, or 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 people maybe JPEGs become the most important thing in the world, um, and they just print billions of them forever. What are we gonna do? There's nothing you can do about it. <laughs> There's nothing. I mean, that's man. That's man. You bring up some really good imagery of like owning ordinals for like art pieces, you know, over a long period of time, and then you just all of your you just collect more sets that are art pieces. <laughs> it's just, it feels so strange. The the slippery slope of like, oh, there's so many sets that like it doesn't matter if we inscribe on a few. It's like that's literally yeah, exactly what they that's said. Awesome. That's what they said about the exactly. fucking dollar. Oh, it doesn't matter if we print like a billion here or a trillion there. Like there's already so many in circulation. Like that's that's the funniest mar- argument to me. Do you think markets will be built off of ordinals? No. Oh, like uh, of course like not. fucking like Options trading on ordinals? <laughs> uh, anything's possible no. in the bull market. I hope the fuck not. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> no, I, I think that's like, like, I think that there isn't enough, like, despite the fact that we're seeing the, the fees, I don't think there would be enough interest in like a, an introduction of you know, financial engineering within an inscription, I think that like starts to convolute a lot of things. Oh, hell yeah, it does, um, for sure. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't put it past people from trying. Like I remember when one of my friends was like, it's a, it's gonna, a, it's a every, every stock is going to be an NFT. It's all going to be smart contracts. And then like, I like looked at my other buddy and was like, what are you saying right now? This is, what? Dude, we, so we all like, drink that Kool-Aid, man. I, I fucking definitely drink that Kool-Aid. I, I, I will. I, <laughs> for the longest time. I bought, I bought some Ethereum for a little while. Like I held it. I don't hold it anymore. But I will never, I never bought a single NFT. And every time someone would DM me being like, yo, dude, like I just bought this NFT. You should check it out. You like crypto, right? And I would just look at them like, dude, all right, what is your use case? Dumbest one. It was one of Gary V's fucking NFTs, the biggest scammer in the space. Such a, I, I'm waiting for the Gary V lawsuit, and it's gonna happen very soon. I mark mark my words, it will. Um, but it was a, a line of like these shoes, where it, the NFT is just like a picture of a shoe, and the way you can earn more tokens is it tells you at a certain time when you have to go on a walk outside, and like this guy like like with a straight face, like this is the greatest invention ever. And I was like, I'm good. I like working out when I want to work out, but you can be dictated by an app on your phone to tell you when it's the time to like step outside and get fresh air. Like just the stupidest thing I ever heard. And he thought it was like the most genius invention ever known to man. <laughs> well, yeah, at least for now, 
they're using it to money launder and hey money laundering is a human right so that's a use case <laughs> probably more important than buying coffee oh. but anyways um yeah man this is a great conversation what, what where can people find your writing again and uh where can they find you uh if you if you're not already give me a follow over on twitter q underscore and then spell out every single word i'm about to say like the letter i also put it down there q underscore like the letter and then on Substack as well q like the letter um yeah i appreciate you guys having me this was a, a ton of fun i'm sorry that i talked to you guys ears off and we went way oh, way over oh, i love it i'm i'm, I'm a big fan of, that was a fun night I, I, i'd love to do i'd have loved to ask all these other questions yeah man anyway. Dude, we'll just have just have me come back, bro. We'll, Hell yeah. we'll, we'll keep ripping. Oh, yeah. Thanks again for listening to the High Hash Rate Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at High Hash Rate, or you can hit up Dan at Heartland Bitcoin, H R T L N D Bitcoin, or myself, Mike, at Run Dance Bitcoin. That's all one word Run Dance Bitcoin. If you're a fellow pleb or you just want to shoot the shit with two high Bitcoiners, reach out to us. Holy Toledo!